0: Hello and welcome to episode number 348 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's show, a US carrier turns a profit. Yes, it's a true. And we celebrate International Civil Aviation Day, and one country asks its crews to wear nappies, aka diapers, on board. In the military, we salute Brigadier General Chuck Yeager, the first man to break the sound barrier, and a super hornet crew eject after a takeoff roll. Joining me this week, as always in the PTUK Master Suite Studios. And he's, safe to say, now a man who drives a car that's, well... Not noisy. Yeah, not noisy. Course, that's Matt the, Smith.
1: That's the thing. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, do you know, it feels like literally only two days ago since we did something very similar. <laughs> it, it does, actually, yeah.
0: We, we were doing this not so long ago, but it was in slightly more... Um, Chaotic fashion. I say? <laughs> Chaotic fashion,
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh, so you know, how, that, are you? That, how are you? That? That? How's that going? <laughs> Actually, I will, I will just say that we had an email come to, uh to uh, the, the, uh, the team uh, this week. And uh, it was after the, the Christmas show had been recorded. And, it, and it, it was along the lines of, could you please tell us how long the christmas show will take to edit okay right to put together. I, don't, I don't want to know is the short answer
1: to that um, <laughs> absolutely uh, so uh, carlos and or armando one of you needs to go up and one of you needs to go down as it were uh, family oh. show ladies and gentlemen uh, i'll tell you what carlos bring your levels up a bit you make up a little bit yeah, we'll, absolutely we'll, we'll a little that's bit, the trouble yeah. when we start in a bit of a hurry isn't it we should have done a the sound check go. before we started but uh, so is, is, is that better uh, we'll
0: see um, okay, so and <laughs> and uh, unfortunately this week uh, we have not got uh, Mr. Bones with us because uh, he is too busy celebrating uh, being a granddad. Oh, so uh, all yeah. the best to you, Nev and Mrs. Nev. Uh, or should we say, uh, um, Nanny Nev. Well, well, quite, yes. Nanny Nev, yeah. Well, uh, now, will, she or will she mind that at
1: all? No, no. So, right, you've no, checked, no. have you? Let's yeah. check.
0: Let's check. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
3: just wondered.
1: <laughs>
0: but honestly, glorious news for Nev this week. So yeah. uh, congratulations to, to everyone in the uh, in the Bounds uh, family. So Very uh, well good. done to you all. Uh, but we have back this week as always, our legendary military expert who has this week also got um, guests coming on later on the show. So we welcome on to the show. It's Armando.
4: I don't know about military expert, just just by sheer longevity, I suppose. I mean,
1: I mean, you, you've met us, right? I mean, like you know, if if we're your benchmark, then then clearly you win, mate. That's
4: <laughs> my fear. My fear is actually always the chat room and our and our listeners who probably uh... know more than all of us combined.
1: Oh, you see, this is why he's so, so diplomatic, mm. isn't he? Honestly, how, do, how did that
4: happen? Amanda, without, <laughs> without
0: you, the military segment would just be us going blah, blah,
4: blah, 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 blah. No, isn't that what it is no. now? It's, it's with an American voice. Now,
1: will you pl- oh, stop it? Anyway, okay, come on, somebody move on. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so uh, yes, as I said, As I said, we haven't got uh, Nev, but uh, we have got got loads of stuff and content for this week's show. So we're going to say a big thanks to everyone who has joined us in the live show this week. Uh, Just looking through the chat room to see who's joined us this week. We have got Stephen H. Hello to you, Stephen. Richard Adams. Uh, we have got Sturman, hello to you, Gareth. Uh, yes, I have had a nice week off uh, missed you mate i 'll see you on Monday. Uh, Stephen Ivy is also in the chat room and uh, Lane street, so Lane 's in the uh, chat room, so that will make for a interesting uh, chat room tonight, as always with Lane uh, Masha hello to you masha uh, i 'm just scrolling down the list Armando is obviously in the chat room that 's always handy. Uh, wielding the blue spanner uh alan loveday hello to you alan who gave him hey, the blue
4: spanner seriously <laughs> who, who, who authorized that i think you guys did that uh, before i was even on the show <laughs>
0: we've got uh, just for the military segment that is uh the apg show hello to you uh loving the hat apparently the apg show thank you yeah i thought you'd like that one uh myla hello to you myla hello to you uh jacob darlington brown morning all says jacob my word i tell you jacob has really been pushing the boat really out joining us on these live shows so well done to you uh jacob uh, Stephen H says, "What car? What, well, what's Car's background? Looks nicely seventies. Is that the original colouring or tobacco stains? Well, actually, this this background this evening uh, for me is uh, is actually from the VC10, which is uh, on display at the Duxford Imperial War Museum at Cambridge. And uh, as you can see, you can actually go on board this VC10, and uh, is." If you get the chance to go to Duxford and you get the chance to walk on board this VC10, check out the leg room in between these seats, because trust me, it is like business class style leg room with an economy style seating, which is what you can see behind me. But um, yeah, pretty awesome. Don't forget as well, if you listen to the show as an audio podcast and you fancy kind of zooming over to uh, our youtube page don't forget to hit the subscribe button and bell icon which is right next to it to be notified when we go live and record like we, uh, as we are now because uh, we'd love to have you with us in the chat room so just look us up on youtube uh, uh, so all of w's.youtube.com forward slash plain talking uk and you can be as lame keeping him in check because we like to keep an eye on Lane, don't we? Guys? What? Just just Lane in the chat, chat room? Is there? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, no. We've got we've got everyone in the chat room, but Lane is honestly, uh, actually, I, Lane makes the uh, point. Says APG gives out blue spanners like candy.
1: Right, I know, but they're 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 also very they're also very busy. <laughs> to be fair, I mean it's you know, in in their defence, it's. Uh... It is one of those things. I've got a lovely photograph that i have tried to pop up, Ooh. but a, I've got some technical issues here as we were talking about Lane. So we we may come back to it if I can get the stupid thing to work. What
0: what the, what the technical issues are do to Lane or is
1: uh, Yeah, probably that that'll be what it is. Just be, just
0: bear with me a moment. Uh, every... Actually, just going quickly, uh, Armando, have you been uh, flying this week at all? I can't oh. talk right now
1: Whoa. <laughs> oh. yeah okay and and yeah now, I don't know quite what's happening you see Armando sent me a photo just a couple of moments ago he's and, barking and mad. that's exactly what that that's what it looked like a couple of moments ago two very sleepy dogs, and all of a sudden I don't what oh, so well, well what did you do armando we have to we have to ask we have to ask questions now there we go Anyways, our, so-
4: our dogs every time there's a police or or uh, fire service siren my beagle likes to match the tone so <laughs> right okay is, is that a thing i I, mean... <laughs> I i don't know anybody out there with beagles or hounds yeah. or something like that but... clearly
0: clearly it is now uh anyway I, I have to say armando i love the pooches but that display case is freaking awesome i have to say oh, what this one here i hang want on. that display case yeah hang on just give me a second if, yeah if, if i could have that here now i'd probably right. be divorced but it would be okay. a,
4: yeah yeah there, there's it. a lot of clues in there for anybody that uh, is an aviation and av geek because uh, there's some weird airplanes and some manuals that you can see what i've flown in the back in the past
0: oh dear right, come
4: on we're in, we're gonna get in trouble so in a minute we, we to are on.
0: gonna start the show tonight, as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from across the world and the uk so if all the team's ready woo-hoo,
4: let's, let's good.
0: So, Kicking off this week's first news story, sorry that coffin just made me laugh. Uh, was uh, is from uh the mercopress.com, uh, simple flying media from there and Twitter as well. And uh, it's, it's good news for a change for the Max. Wow, we've got some more good news for Max. So, uh, headline Boeing 737 Max returns to commercial service on San Paolo to Porto Alegre flight. And uh, bless you. Thank you very much. Um, more than 20 months after it was grounded following the two deadly crashes, Boeing's 737 MAX returned to the skies on Wednesday for its first commercial flight. Low-cost airline Gol's Flight 4104 from San Paulo arrived safely, make a point of saying that word, in the southern city of Porto Alegre. Uh, ...about 70 minutes after takeoff, using the revamped jet in a first that Boeing hopes will turn the page on a badly damaging crisis in the wake of the twin crashes. Most of the travellers on board the 88% booked flight, which had a capacity of 186 passengers, took little notice of the model number painted on the nose... Gull's crew, for their part, made no mention of the fact that it was the first commercial flight of the 737 MAX since its worldwide grounding back in March 2019. Gull said it was uh, fully confident in the safety upgrades and expanded pilot training program implemented by Boeing as part of aviation's regulators' conditions to recertify the plane. For the past 20 months, we have been carrying out, he said, the most intensive safety review in the history of commercial aviation Gull's vice president for operations, Celso Ferrer, said in a statement. Safety comes first and foremost, he said. A Gull's spokesman said that any passenger who did not feel comfortable flying on the 737 MAX would be allowed to reschedule at no cost for up to 12 months from the date of purchase in the us american airlines has operated the 737 max with passengers however these were not commercial flights but rather carried employees and media personnel so good news then guys the max has returned back to service um i have to say and we've said this before on the show and i'm pretty sure that all of us agreed that um given the choice or chance to i'd quite happily go on a max now Mostly. Yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, I've I've said before, even as a nervous flyer, you know, it's like there's been that. I mean, you'd like to think that every single I has been dotted and T crossed to ensure that you know, because I mean, no airline is going to be able to handle this again, is there? If they, if something like this happens, um, so yeah, hope hopefully that that is the end of it, isn't it? And and we can
0: sort of sort of Armando for you.
4: Well, I think that's exactly what we thought was going to happen was uh plane load of people were going to get on there and completely not realize that they were flying a max i think only a few of us will actually ever notice or or want to notice if we're flying the max or not but to be honest sometimes i can't even tell the difference i you know if you get on a 737 800 or an ng or something like that i Most people can't tell the difference between those airplanes.
1: Now, one of the pictures that that I was sharing with everyone there, which I'm just going to try and describe for the listeners. um, I mean, the interior looks fantastic. It's got the overhead cabin bins open. But the one thing that jumps at me in that photograph is how narrow that aisle is. I mean, is, is that? Yeah. I mean, it just looks very narrow to me. I'm sure it's just—I don't know—perhaps it's the persp- the perspective of where the image is being taken. But it it just looks to me, it
0: just looks really narrow. I think it's deceptive, the picture, you know. I think yeah. the picture, it, it's obviously been taken with an iPhone. And, um, oh, deceptive, what? The What's that got to do with the price of it? Okay, anyway, moving on to the next story. <laughs> I'm not even going to give you the
1: opportunity to, to comment further on that one. Story number two uh, is uh, sort of uh, in, a, in a year, let's be honest, that's been a bit disastrous for aviation. Um, we're sharing some good news, actually, new routes and bases from the UK, uh, which, given, given what's sort of just around the corner for us Brits, is is doubly exciting, really. So uh, we'll start with Wizz Air. Wizz Air has re- revealed that Cardiff will be its next UK base, with one with one um, with one aircraft based. Uh, 230 seat A321, which is quite exciting. The Welsh Airport, brand new uh, brand new in the Whiz network, will be its fourth UK base after Luton, Gatwick and Doncaster. Uh, it will be its 12th UK airport that it's serving, which is quite cool. It opens on the 26th of March and Wizair Air will initially have nine routes with a total of 121... Uh, 21 weekly services. Uh, so we move from ultra low cost to the nation's flag carrier. British Airways will launch 11 routes from Southampton to destinations around Europe beginning next summer. BA will launch the routes from its BA City Flyer subsidiary. In total it will operate up to 17 seasonal flights uh, each weekend uh, which between the 1st of May and the 31st of October. Uh, the new BA City Flyer service will replace many of those that were operated by regional carrier flyby and they will operate these leisure routes uh using their Embraer 190 aircraft routes include southampton to berlin edinburgh uh bergerac (coughs) excuse me sorry barra faro uh florence ibiza um now i can't say this one Oh Limoges, sorry, I nearly said limos, sorry. Uh, it's, it's Malaga, uh, Mykonos, Nice, and Palma de Mallorca, and finally a short hop across the Irish Sea and back. Uh, yes, all right, sorry, I'll, I'll put my teeth in and try again. Uh Air Lingus UK Limited, Air Lingus UK Limited. Interesting is the latest airline to look to establish a base in Manchester in order to facilitate new UK to US flights by the newly formed subsidiary of the Irish flag carrier. Uh, in a US Department of Transport filing, the company asked to be permitted to carry passenger and cargo traffic between the United Kingdom and the United States. The application also requests permission to use both Air Lingus and British Airways. Code for the flight. Uh, The filing is the first made under the newly signed bilateral uh, air service agreement between the USA and the UK, a necessary deal owing to that Thing that we don't like to talk about. Uh, one uh, interesting quirk in the filing, I should say Brexit, actually, because that could have been COVID as well, couldn't it? So we'll gloss over that and move on. Uh, one interesting quirk in the filing is that Aer Lingus UK is not yet a licensed airline. It applied to the UK Civil Aviation Authority, but those licenses remain pending. The company expects them to be issued in or around February 2021. And another quirk is that the US must waive a key clause in the US-UK bilateral agreement to approve the application uh, the open skies agreement requires that sub- substantial ownership and effective control of the carrier be vested in the uk nationals in this scenario however the ownership and control will remain squarely in ireland uh, however uh, precedent has already been made uh, has already been set by the US dot for this requirement being waived when all countries involved are Open Skies partners. So this is not likely to be an issue. So, I mean, in very strange times, let's say strange times, shall we? Uh, it's, I think it's really good news to hear that there are some routes uh, reopening. Although I think, because obviously we covered a story a couple of weeks ago, was it last week or the week before, where Flybe might well be making a return? I mean, it does make you wonder what on earth... Their routes are going to be uh, if if the city flyer routes are say, essentially picking up the slap, isn't it? Is it picking up the slap. I just yeah. I
0: just done a little bit of quick research, Matt, while you are doing that story. Brace yourselves, and, everyone. Um, if uh, I just booked, I just booked me and you a flight oh, right. from Cardiff to Larnaca
1: next okay. week. Next I mean, week. I mean, the fact that it will take us five or six hours to get to that airport is not no.
0: Okay. Oh, well, right. we, yes. well, we'll we'll okay. we'll go to Cardiff oh, no, no, anyway. No, no, We've got go. listeners in Cardiff. We've got listeners in Cardiff. Okay. So okay. We're, okay. we're going right. to go. We, me and me and Matt are going to go from Cardiff to Larnaca next weekend uh, right. for a week. And uh, but we're we're tight. We're right. very frugal. Okay. We're have only have, have you luggage. asked? Have you asked Gemma? that's fine okay uh, we're only taking hand luggage that's lads, lads lads, lads that's lads, lads. luggage uh how much do you reckon matt yeah me we, we must we, yeah we,
1: we've got to remember obviously your vanity case because obviously there will be there, yeah absolutely uh yeah.
0: On, have, have a quick guess matt how much return flights me and you right, right. From, cardiff to, week, to, from cardiff to from cardiff right okay so I, i'm
1: gonna use i'm gonna use the norwich i'm gonna use the norwich sir and say <laughs>
0: 320 pounds no, your miles out. Am some. I?
1: Okay. Yeah, all right.
0: it actually comes in for me and you. Return flights from Cardiff to Larnaca: one hundred and eighty-three pounds and ninety-six pence. Is that each? That's for both of us. Oh.
1: Yep. Okay, and that's a return flight. We, that's we're a not, return. We're flight. not suddenly stranded no, in Larnaca. No, that is a okay. return
0: flight, but that is with only hand luggage. No, oh, that's all right. Checked in.
1: I, I only plan to wear shorts and t-shirt anyway. It'll be fine. Well, it's yeah. surprising. It's quite cheap. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad, absolutely. I mean, the fact that it'll cost us 80 quid to get to Cardiff and back is neither here nor there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a small detail. Uh, Anyway, on to the next story. Armando, that is with you.
4: Yeah, so this next story, speaking of uh, the landscape looking a little bit different over there in Europe, uh, this year, Mesa Airlines ended its fiscal year on September 30th, 2020, and recorded a net income of $11.3 million in its fourth quarter while recording a net income of $27 million for the fiscal year. However, this was below the $47.5 million net income uh, the airline recorded in 2019. Uh, the airline attributed this to reduced flying due to the un- crisis, which meant reduced revenues. Uh, Mesa's business has been somewhat insulated during the pandemic because it has capacity purchase agreements to operate flights for United Airlines and American Airlines. Uh, for which those carriers already make fixed uh, monthly payments. So operationally, Mesa noted that it ran a 99.9% controllable completion factor, uh, total completion factor, including weather-related cancellations, close-in capacity reductions uh, due to reduced demand, other uncontrollable cancellations clocked in at 94.8%, which is exceptionally high. In November, Mesa Airlines reached an agreement with American Airlines to operate an additional 40 CRJ-900s for a five-year term. This is under the American Eagle banner. Um, So this year, MESA also started to diversify, as we talked about uh, in previous episode, as it commenced cargo operations for DHL using two Boeing 737-400 freighters. Uh, They should be a reliable stream of revenue for the carrier moving forward. Uh, MESA also took on 10 new Embraer E-175 aircraft, which will fly for United Airlines under United Express. Uh, And then lastly, uh, Mesa also entered into a $195 million loan with the U.S. Treasury, as well as receiving funds from the payroll support program, which was part of that early relief package for airlines. Um, So while this is good news for Mesa Airlines, uh, there are still many airline workers that have been furloughed or are, are, are out of work Um, From the beginning of of the pandemic, we said that this was going to change the landscape, as we talked about in the previous story. Um, Some airlines will win, some will lose out of this. And it seems that Mesa, in addition to SkyWest and some other ones, I know my previous airline um, has actually opened, uh, I believe, six new cities uh, since I left just two months ago. So they they they're capitalizing on some of these uh, smaller destinations that the majors are not servicing anymore. I mean, I, I
1: suppose it's I suppose you could argue given the way that this this is you know I mean they've made a profit based on the fact that they had the common sense to have fixed you know fixed payment terms if you like in place beforehand so ironically uh, you know it, the airlines that are directly involved are still making massive losses it's just because of the deal that messer essentially has got with these with the legacy carriers essentially is the only reason why they're sort of doing okay presumably
4: yeah that's it and there's a you know it just goes to each airline's operating strategy and their business strategy and and uh, in different circumstances that can be more resilient than other strategies and in this case you know, Mesa's uh, hedging their bets of, of operating for these two airlines has uh, yeah. has paid off.
1: Yeah, very much so. Uh, John will also be very impressed at the fact that something that we discussed during our meeting, I actually remembered and was able to share with you as part of the thing. So, <laughs> you know, he'll be very impressed by that, no doubt. <laughs> anyway, I
4: I will I will address one thing. Stephen Ivey in the chat room says, yeah, it helps when your pay is very low. I will add that for sure, that. I left my airline for a reason and they have taken uh, a 65% pay cut Oof. for for captain upgrades. Um, however, it's aviation and in aviation there is always someone willing to, willing do, it. to do it. It's yeah. kind of us it's kind of our own little problem is is there's always a pilot that's willing to fly for the love of it and you know disregard the pay yeah. while some of us that have worked quite long in the industry are not willing to do it for pennies so it's a personal decision
1: to be honest with you nor nor should we I mean it's one of the um, it's one of the topics actually that we talk about in the uh, in the Plain Truth uh, today as well but uh, of course that's the I mean, it's like the. I mean, I, I use coach driving as an as another example. It's notoriously an industry that is very, very underpaid, um, but a lot of people do it because they love the driving, um, you know. And it's uh, it's that sort of same scenario, isn't it? Sometimes, if it's a, if something that you love doing, uh, you know, it's all about personal happiness than it is necessarily about the paycheck that you are getting at the end of the day. But uh, you know, is that is, yeah. is is that right or wrong? I, I don't know.
4: Well, it's, it's all a personal decision, but yeah. I mean, most of us in the aviation industry are indoctrinated to that right away when you're trying to do your private pilot license and you realize how expensive it is. And, you know, you're 23 years old trying to do this and, and you're sharing a flat with seven other people and eating, uh, you know, tang sandwiches and ramen noodles, as I always say. <laughs> Actually, if,
0: anyone, if, if anyone's thinking of starting a, an airline, um, if you want to employ just Stephen and Ivy, he will work for just food and beer. Right. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. He would be be an an incredible employee. Although I'm a bit worried about the beer side of that as a pilot, but. um, He'll be fine. Yeah, he'll be fine.
1: Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? I don't know. He says, having just lost the internet in the studio. But anyway, that's fine. Moving on. Uh,
0: (laughs) The uh, uh, next story. And uh, this one is all about International Civil Aviation Day. Do you know, I've never heard of that one before. Anyway, this uh, has been specially written for us. This is uh, Monday, the 7th of December, Mark the 26th annual International Civil Aviation Day. Uh, Since 1994, the International Civil Aviation Organization, or ICAO, celebrated the day each year to mark the occasion of the signing of the Chicago Convention in December 1944. The Convention established rules of airspace, aircraft registration and safety, security and sustainability, and it details the rights of the signatories in relation to air travel and is the basis on which international air travel exists today. In 1996, the UN General Assembly declared the date a day of awareness to recognize the importance of air travel to the social and economic development of the world and the unique role that the ICAO has and does play in helping member states cooperate and achieve social prosperity. Uh, This year, more than ever, it's important to recognize the achievements and of the aviation industry, in particular... Uh, The civil aviation, both passenger and cargo, who have been instrumental, but among the worst hit sectors in this pandemic. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, said uh, aviation is an important engine of our world and will play a critical role in lifting the world to recovery from COVID-19. Let us ensure it receives the support it needs to keep the world's nations connected and united. Countries must act urgently, he said, to sustain their air transport sectors from the challenges thrown up by the pandemic. In a post on the CAA website, Sir Stephen Hillier, chair of the Civil Aviation Authority in the UK, uh, said, despite the challenges as it has done throughout history, the future holds much promise and opportunities for aerospace Innovative new technologies, process and designs are creating exciting new markets, as we found out a few weeks back, me and Nev. Biofuels, pilotless platforms, redesigned and modernized airspace, and we expect to add space to our portfolio. We are reaching out across our society to encourage wider participation in aerospace, including through promotion of STEM. In a normal year, the aviation sector directly contributes uh, over £20 billion to the UK economy and employs around 300,000 people. We will see a return to those levels and grow beyond. Aviation has come a very long way in 100 years and always proved its adaptability. It will go even further over the next 100. The future remains bright and exciting. Yeah, I think that is correct. I really do. I think... You know, that it it has been hard. It's been incredibly hard. We've known a lot of people within our community that have either lost their jobs or been furloughed or, you know, had their pay cuts and this, that and the other. But I, I, I do believe, I, I strongly think, guys, that, you know, things will get better. I but hope so. I, I, I think it's going to be, it won't start, I don't think, until towards the end of next year, personally. But that's just mm. my thoughts.
1: I'd like to think sort of the beginning of next year we'll see things sort of starting to improve, I think. I, I think we'll see um, certainly um, existing crews and, and, you know, some of those that have uh, perhaps were on t- on uh, like um, sort of temporary contracts that we know, or not temporary contracts, what's the word, I'm, where they're on like a self-employed basis. I'd like to think some of those sort of early part of next year will start being re-employed again so that they can
0: mm. go back to doing what they love doing. But, uh,
1: Yeah hopefully, yeah the chat, the chat
0: room think I'm doing subliminal advertising I don't know why
1: Yeah, subtle as a sledgehammer as always, Carlos yeah. uh, so now we've got a little video um, that <laughs> I'm going to share with you uh, and it is on this very subject basically say, we say thank you to everyone in aviation playing a key role During the pandemic and trying to put aviation back on its
3: feet,
1: we'll continue to work with everyone to build back better. There we go. I I think that's a great message, isn't it? Yeah so it's um yeah so Eurocontrol supporting uh aviation uh celebrating a, uh European aviation day to build back better fingers crossed eh fingers crossed
0: So moving on to the next story Matt and uh this is a bit of a kind of a tech story I suppose for you Matt
1: well, I mean, I mean tech in the loosest possible terms, in fact. I mean, we, we, we've covered sort of similar stories, I think, haven't we, With uh, certainly from a security aspect. But I have to confess, I, I think this is one of the first times this has been uh, used directly by an airline. So the headline is Air Canada becomes first Canadian airline to offer optional uh, biometric boarding for flights departing the US to Canada. So Air Canada said today that it is the first... Uh, Uh, First Canadian airline to offer its customers the safety and convenience of a new boarding option utilising facial biometrics. The technology is now available for customers departing San Francisco International Airport with plans to progressively roll it out to customers at other US airports where the airline operates. Uh, Andrew Yu the Vice President of Product at Air Canada said customers have told us that they value streamlined processes and we continue to evaluate and assess additional touchless initiatives to further advance safe and secure travel while enhancing the overall travel experience. Biometric boarding enables customers to present themselves at the boarding gate, uh, have their photo taken which is then validated and confirmed to their passport document details and and photo which is already captured via the US Customs and Border Protection Traveller Verification Service in a matter of seconds the CBP Biometrical Fa- Biometric Facial Comparison Service will automatically compare the new photo of the traveller to images that the traveller has already provided to the government such as a passport and visa photos overall the use of facial biometrics provides travellers with a secure touchless process that it, that streamlines air travel customers who do not wish to utilize biometric boarding may simply advise the gate agent and they will board as they always have by presenting their boarding pass and passport for manual id check and board boarding processing. Uh, Since the beginning of the year Air Canada has introduced numerous touchless processes throughout the customer journey including touch-free bag check for flights departing Canadian airports, uh, the ability to order food directly in maple leaf lounges from smartphones and tablets. Touchless self entry into the Air Canada Cafe for when it reopens, and provisioning of all newspapers and magazines in digital format via the Press Reader app, among other initiatives. Now, actually, um, I mean, I was a bit sort of like, you know, it hardly ever works. At, I mean, if, if you've ever tried to use the e-gates at Stansted, <laughs> um, they're, they're not always particularly successful. But I don't know. I think give. I, I don't know. I think people may be more up for this now because of this whole this whole COVID thing. You know where it's one less thing that you've got to touch or interact with. If you like, all you've got to and do is stand carry. in the machine and carry. You know, essentially, you know, the technology should be there. Providing the photo is pretty good. That's with your, 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 you know, your travel documents. I mean, uh, you know, this is this is potentially a bit of a game changer, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I think so. Uh, slight correction there. I think this is the first time that it's been used from the U.S. to Canada because yep. we've done stories in the past for uh, Lufthansa, British Airways, Delta. I think American had uh, biometric screening in in DFW, um, so yeah. it's it's been around for a couple years already. I yeah. think I'm being told That's Emirates really in my ear as well.
1: It. Apparently, they've 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 been doing it as well.
4: Yeah, so um, but but it is now is is the perfect time to implement something like this. Like you guys are saying, it's it's just less human contact that you have to worry about, and and uh, you know, some sometimes you you need a a huge life-changing event to spur a new technology and this. This is probably it. I I mean, I think, but I think in our, in our entire world, not just aviation, I think we're going to see a lot of new uh, technologies popping, popping up from, from this uh, last year.
1: I mean, I think it's safe to say there's going to be a lot of people who say, you know, big brother is watching and, and all that kind of thing i suppose there is that you know there's a, there's an interesting sort of story there i'd be interested to see what um, what the chat room think are of this i mean i i personally don't have any issues uh personally because I, I guess i'm a little bit on the light like, if you haven't done anything wrong you haven't got anything to hide so i don't under you know I, but i do i do understand why people are are sort of very uh uncomfortable to share uh such personal data because let's be honest the, go- the government also does have a terrible reputation of how it handles people's data shall we say um where stuff actually i was missing. going to say so... how many
0: times have we been how, how many times has anyone been through stanford and had every single e-gate working i don't think i've ever been through stanford and had every e-gate working
1: I think, I think usually it's not, re- it's not usually because of a fault of the gate. It, they, they only tend to turn on certain machines depending on
0: peak travel it's times. and Ten times. flights behind me. Uh, yeah.
4: Hey, li- listen, I know for me as a foreigner living in the UK, I've said this before on the this, on this show, I was a part of the, uh, the known traveler program for, for the Border Force, and <laughs> it was the highlight of my life to be able to land at Heathrow or Gatwick, and go to the UK line and pass through those, even if the e-readers weren't working and you had to go over to the side and talk to one of the officers, that saved me about two to three hours of waiting in line in the international arrivals. So yeah, <laughs> I'll take
1: it. <laughs> True, absolutely. Well, and again, as you say, moving uh, moving towards the, um, you know, sort of like the digital digital elements of that. I mean, presumably yeah, all that's gonna do is make those particular processes faster. Potentially, but uh, yeah, I, I mean,
4: are. how many people were were naysayers when when I when Apple came out and said they wanted to use facial recognition? Oh, don't say that to log of on to your phone, Carlos.
1: I mean, he'll become unbearable. Right? Uh, although it's everywhere, I, I have to say, I, I have to say, because I mean, I've I've had both like the Android and Apple versions, and because the Apple version uses like infrared rather than an actual image of your face. Uh, I have to say I mean if I put my phone for example in front of my mum it won't unlock if I put it in front of, of producer John it won't unlock it's you know there, there is something about the way that it worked that de- definitely goes Stephen H has an interesting point in the chat room uh, he says trying to avoid pol- politics is. I'm sure Hawaii, Hawaii however you say it have the equipment ready to deploy I mean there is that argument uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah I don't know as I say I suppose it doesn't matter who it is uh, you know there's always going to be that question over over. Day- Data safety isn't it
0: anyway we're going to move on to the next story we need to move on to the next story for Armando and uh, this is a very 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 political story
4: yeah speaking of Huawei uh, China's aviation regulator is recommending that cabin crew on charter flights uh, uh, cabin crew on charter flights in in high risk COVID-19 destinations wear disposable diapers (laughs) to avoid using the bathroom and reduce the risk of infection This advice comes in a 38-page list of guidelines for airlines to spread, uh, to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Uh, This uh, sixth edition echoes similar instructions in previous, less lengthy versions. The Civil Aviation Administration of China said the recommendation applies for charter flights to and from countries and regions where infections exceed 500 in every 1 million people. The diaper advice is in a section on personal protective equipment, which also recommends the following for cabin crew. Medical protective masks, double-layer disposable medical rubber gloves, goggles, disposable caps, disposable protective clothing, and disposable shoe covers. Uh, Flight crews should wear masks and goggles, but they don't need diapers. Eh, arguably. My own commentary, I've seen the age of so the pilots up front. Maybe they should also wear diapers. (laughs) <laughs> uh, other advice for the flights includes dividing the cabin into clean area, a buffer zone, a passenger sitting area, and a quarantine area separated by disposable curtains. That's great. If you're in a 737. I don't know so much about a Embraer legacy. Uh, the last three rows should be designated as emergency quarantine areas. According to the aviation authority, they decline to disclose any more details on these gu- on these guidelines. Uh, China's aviation market, it was hit hard at the onset of the outbreak in Wuhan and subsequent spread around the country, but it has recovered on the domestic front at least uh, to, close, uh, to close to pre-pandemic levels. Other regions such as Europe, U.S., struggled to bring COVID-19 under control. Uh, slight political statement there. Airlines have ins- insisted that it is safe to fly during the pandemic, uh, partly thanks to the hospital-grade air filters on the planes, but some researchers say that it isn't clear uh, quite yet to, uh, to conclude that there's a minimal risk. Uh, some cases have documented transmission on flights when passengers wore masks and sat far apart. So that's from Bloomberg.com. Uh, there you go. I don't know how I... I, I, I don't... <laughs> I'm not a cabin crew member. So if I had to wear gloves, goggles, caps, disposable clothing, and some diapers, I think I just probably wouldn't show up to work.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I my my thinking on this, uh, and again, we were talking we were talking about this during um during our production meeting, and it was just like, is this sending out the wrong message though? Essentially, you're saying that we're so worried about our staff catching COVID that we won't let them use the bathroom. I mean. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 pers- I personally feel this is sending out completely
0: the wrong message to. I thought, our... I thought there were certain airlines that had a, um, one of the lavatories cordoned off for just, start, for, for just crew use. I'm I mean, sure but, certainly
1: like, that's that's yeah. that's certainly one solution to it, and also if we are going down the nappy route and I don't mean to be all right, most people will probably be able to hold number twos in, shall we say because they are essentially grown ups wearing nappies or diapers um but if one does need to go, I mean however you dress this up, there is going to be a uh, how are you going to you know number one carries a smell too that's all I'm saying, okay. I, I, but, I, I just think she's completely here's the... another here's another point too. this is
4: this is specifically for uh-huh. charter flights, according to this article. It's for charter flights. I guarantee you that some of the clients that are chartering these aircraft to travel from China to these destinations are not going to be too pleased to see their cabin crew or their pilots wearing all this stuff. Uh, you know that that's where there's a balance between business and Uh, And the risk, you know, it's up to the company to even operate those flights or not, or accept them or not. Um, The clients themselves are taking a risk. But, uh, yeah, we'll see if this actually materializes into anything.
1: Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I I think it's sending out the the wrong message. Uh, Stephen H in the chat room is actually saying, surely in a plane of 200 people, there is always someone with something infectious. I mean...
4: (laughs) That's the same thing that I think about my six-year-old in her classroom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, quite. It's like
0: I say, it's how the APG crew gets through a three-hour show. Well, there is that, yes.
1: Oh dear. I, obviously carlos's <laughs> opinions are his own i should stress that they're they're not shared by the rest of the majority of the PTUK uk group oh, uh,
2: just remember uh, there uh, we are. i'm offended at apg Kudak. that's it yeah that's exactly. the one yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Our airline
4: <laughs> there we go so, um, okay
0: the next story uh we're going to go on to some 380 news actually for a change um Because there are still 380s in the world, believe me. Are there? And uh, this one comes from various um, publications, Simple Flying, Flight Global, uh, Bloomberg.com, and uh, MyAirTrade.com as well. And Emirates takes delivery of brand new A380 powered by Finnish cooking oil sure there's a cleaner called out in the UK anyway middle eastern carrier emirates has taken delivery of yet another a380 the first of 3 have you be been drinking your special tea again carlos the dubai based <laughs> noel gray this week oh Before the end of this year, one of the three aircraft to be uh, delivered will have a configuration which includes Emirates' premium economy seating. I'm so looking forward to trying that out. The latest aircraft, Alpha 6 Echo Victor Lima, departed Airbus's Hamburg-Unkelweir facility on the 4th of December and arrived in Dubai early the following day. Uh, it's only the second A380 to be handed over this year following the delivery of an aircraft to Japan, uh, Japanese carrier Al Nippon Airways on the 30th of October. It was delivered using a blend of jet fuel and sustainable aviation fuel, SAF, making it, or marking, the first time Emirates has powered an A380 with sustainable uh, air fuel. The um, biofuel was produced using spent cooking oil in Finland. Hmm. Emirates has ordered a total of 123 A380s, of which it now has 115. Uh, One has been retired, and they say that uh, three of the outstanding seven aircraft will arrive this month. It insists the type remains highly sought after by customers. They say, we look forward to introducing our premium economy experience, on which we will make its debut on an A380 in the coming months, uh, said Emirates Airlines President Sir Tim Clark. Uh, while Emirates has been trying to keep quiet about its new premium economy product, in an exclusive interview with Aero.de, Clark leaked that the seat manufacturer is indeed Recaro, although he noted the seat has been heavily modified. Uh, we know there are eight seats per row, uh, there will be 58 in the premium economy class. Details of the precise seat have not been yet confirmed, but considering the other details shared by the Emirates boss, the most likely candidate appears to be the Recaro PL3530 seat. It's a popular model for premium economy and is already in use with Vistara for its new Dreamliner. Elsewhere this year has seen many A380s retire, including nine of Air France's remaining aircraft, while the second-hand A380 A380 market remains non-existent. You could now buy a former Air France A380. According to myairtrade.com, the opportunity currently exists to purchase or lease five of the 251 A380s built. Firstly, four Airbus A380s are presently listed as uh, for operating lease or sale. These are four of the 10 former Air France A380s, all owned by the Dr. Peters Group. And Highfly's A380 is also listed. We talked about that a few weeks back. Uh, Ty Airways have also announced this week that two of its A380s are up for sale. So get those checkbooks out. <laughs> I'm just looking in the Patreon account. We right. can probably. Probably get a seat cushion.
1: Right, good. OK, good. Uh, so Jen Niffer is saying in the chat room here, she's saying, uh, hmm, what have they been cooking in Finland, which is a good point. I mean, I, I must admit, I didn't, I didn't sort of have them as people who, who ate a lot of chips, I have to be honest. Uh, I'd have like to stand behind the engine and just sort of... Right. Yes. Mm. Uh, Lane is up to his old tricks, as per usual. He's saying that uh, breaking news: McDonald's has signed a new agreement with Emirates. That's uh, certainly an option. <laughs> uh, that's slightly impressive. Is, is it is it Finland where they've got that repulsive fish that if you open like the the, the uh, super strong? Masker. Oh, is it okay? This is yeah, one of the, the things uh, we stink the, fish. Yeah, absolutely. Where you open the tin and it's just like if you do it in a roo- if you open it in a room, you won't be able to uh,
0: fermented fish. I think it is. Perhaps that's. Uh, where, where yeah, were I think you, Ariel uh, um, commented on those when we had her on the show. They call them stinkfish. Okay, yeah. Um, for I,
1: a good I, I, I sent I sent producer John a video actually because one of the, the radio stations that I listen to a radio station called Radio X, and their audio producer Matt was made to, to try and eat one, and he just uh, it was just the most horrendous thing. Uh, so perhaps it's that oil. Perhaps it's super super potent. Poach oh, you only need gone They only need a teaspoon or two. Um, oh, that stinky fish is in Sweden too. Perhaps it is Sweden I'm thinking of. Lut, Jacob. Lutfisk.
0: Yeah. Lutfisk. Oh, is it? Oh, oh. Oh, I see. Jacob Darlington-Brown says that stinky fish is in Sweden too. Yes, indeed. And Masha says, I do really like the fries from McDonald's. Right. Okay. Well,
1: good news. Well, you know, perhaps they have signed a deal with Emirates, and uh, there we are. Perhaps. Oh, uh, good comment
0: from uh, Jennifer, Matt, uh, Jen Niffer in the chat room. Good one. Matt. <laughs> well, what's this chemtrails thing? Uh, anyway, so chemtrails <laughs> that smell like fish and chips. I mean, that's, that's not a bad smell. I've got to be honest. I mean,
1: actually, Stephen
0: H. Before we move on, Stephen H. Uh, asked a good question: How many portions to fly one kilometer in an A380?
1: good point I don't know place bets now Uh, I'll tell you what we'll leave it with producer John to try and work out how many many portions of fish and chips it would take in order to (laughs) right okay I'm sorry apparently he's trying to do the Christmas show never
0: mind right (laughs) okay poor bugger he's still on the first five minutes of the Christmas show right
4: okay Well, Al Al alone is going to take about three days of editing.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah, there were a couple of moments, certainly, that was quite special. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Myla's saying it's Sweden as well. I've got the wrong country. I take it all back. (laughs) I take it all back. Sweden. Uh, Okay, right. Uh, Who's got the next story
4: then? It would be me. Excellent. So, in the Christmas spirit, Finnair is selling virtual flights to see Santa. Their Finair's virtual reality flights start on December 25th and are available for just 10 euro per person, with profits going to UNICEF's fund to help children adversely impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, But as well as being a brilliant way for children to fly on Santa's official airline and meet the man himself, these flights are an ideal showcase for how the travel industry could use new technology to enrich people's travel experiences. So this pandemic has accelerated interest in virtual reality, but a lack of quality mainstream content has meant a slow adoption beyond gaming. FinAir is now introducing special Santa flights that build on previous work showcasing Airbus A350 cabins at industry events and helping to make travel more accessible and fun despite all the travel restrictions. FinAir's first ever virtual reality flight has been developed in conjunction with Zoan a Finnish uh, VR studio using Unreal Engine. This is the same 3D graphics platform that is usually used in the creation of the very best video games. Uh, For Laura Olin, Zone's chief operating officer, she said that the most important thing when working with FinAir was ensuring that uh, it was made available and accessible to as many people as possible. Of course, most people don't have VR headsets, So Finnair VR Flight is browser-based. It'll offer a 360-degree view, so you can look around your seat at all times. But you can use your computer, your phone, or a headset, where you can utilize a browser if you have one. Customers who take uh, the Finnair VR Flight will see the results from their virtual seat in Finnair's Nordic Business Class. They'll spend about 30 minutes flying beneath the northern lights, enjoying festive soundscapes, decorations, and refreshments served up by the virtual cabin crew uh, before landing in the town of Rovaniemi to see Santa's workshop. Uh, that is Santa's unofficial official home. Uh, the VR flight will be packed full of surprises and participants might even see familiar festive characters sharing your, their journey in one of the other seats. Aww. So I actually looked this up on Finnair's website and um like they said it is accessible from just a computer you don't need a vr headset and for 10 euro on the 25th of december we're just going to be sitting at home maybe we'll put this up on the big screen
1: yeah i it's i i mean do you know what in fact actually john, john um got me a vr headset a couple of years back actually that I quite often watch like 3D movies on and stuff when I'm like just to watch uh like when I'm when I'm on my own and you know sort of because it's great because it's one of those things where the lights go out and you put your, you put your phone in it to do the the VR thing absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. I, I might actually treat myself to uh to a bit of a um to 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 this and see what it's actually like but uh, i'm being told that there apparently i've got a video but i can't find it um hopefully okay all right Uh, last
4: year or maybe it was earlier this year i don't know time doesn't matter anymore but i know we (laughs) were talking about 2020 huh yeah sometime (laughs) in in this millennia uh we were talking about what our favorite experiences were in aviation and for me one of those i I believe i said was being able to see the northern lights yeah absolutely which of
1: course that this that picture here Uh, absolutely highlights i mean what a beautiful view that is isn't it that that is one of the things that i would love love to see okay uh, i'm going to play you a little video now just to get us all in the festive spirit here we go 30 seconds long so he spends his summers in peace and quiet remembering old adventures with friends santa when it's time to get back to work, the world's most trusted traveller knows where to go. Happy holidays from Santa's favourite airline, Finnair. There you go. See, just, just in case there was any doubt. <laughs> his PPE. Did he? Right, he was still wearing his PPE. Okay, very good. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, we're going to move on now then. Uh, that's the end of the commercial. Well done, everyone. We survived good work and uh, it's time to introduce uh, one of my one of the things I most enjoy recording when we do this, uh, mainly because it gives me an excuse to chat to Captain Al for a couple of hours. And you can only imagine some of the conversations that we have pre and post our recording sessions. Um, it's one of the main reasons why I now have grey hair in my beard. But uh, on this particular episode this week, we were chatting to Captain Al about uh, pilot licensings and type ratings. Hello and welcome to another plane truce. And this week we're going to be talking about pilot pilot licences and type ratings. Joining me this week as always in the hot seat it is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi Captain Al how are you? I'm very well thank you and how's your good self? Yes I'm very good thank you very good. I can't believe winter's here already. It's uh, it's romping away shall we say.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes it has been.
1: Indeed, indeed. Right, so uh, my, my question for you this week is to do with uh, sort of basically pilot licenses. So, I mean, from what I've learned through conversations that I've had with people, you sort of start doing your PPL and you work your way up to a commercial license. And then once you've got your pilot's license, for want of a better word, uh, what happens after that? I mean, does that mean you
3: can fly any aircraft? That's a really good question. And the short answer to that is no. But Let me uh, elaborate. (laughs) So you're quite right. There are a couple of avenues to pursue. So first of all, we can split off professional and non-professional license. So the private pilot's license is effectively a, a hobbyist license and it doesn't allow you to charge for your services. So you need to go down the professional pilot's route for that. And here in Europe, that would be studying for the airline transport pilot's license. And initially, your qualification is frozen. So you've done all the theoretical exams. You just need the practical experience to be the commander of a transport aircraft. So transport aircraft, anything from sort of uh, dash eight, so, you know, 30, 40-seat turboprop up to an A380. So uh, to be able to sit in the left-hand seat as a captain for one of those aircraft, you need to have an unfrozen ATPL, which is a combination of experience and a go in the simulator. However, that's all fine and dandy. That's what the basic structure is, but you need to specialize. So Avenues of speciality. Are you going to be flying an aeroplane or a helicopter? Because they're two entirely different setups. So a helicopter license, rotary or fixed wing aeroplane. Then you need to look at the specifics. So if an aircraft is above a certain weight, then you will need to complete a type rating course, which is very specific information associated with that aeroplane. So, for example, the Boeing 737-8, Dash A320, all have their own type ratings because you cannot go and fly one of those aeroplanes unless you've done this add-on training, the type rating. So, how do you go about that? Well, the type rating course is quite expensive, actually, because there's three aspects to it. There is the classroom study, which is usually done by e-learning these days, So that's learning about all of the systems, hydraulics, electrics, flight controls, etc. Then there's the simulator phase where you go in and learn how to fly that specific aeroplane. And then finally, if you've not flown an aircraft of this size before, you have to go and do what's called base training, which is that you will actually go and take a real aeroplane and fly it around the circuit doing practice landings, doing touch-and-goes, and and you'll have to do those in the day and at night. And once you've completed all of that training, the aviation regulator will then allow you to fly that aircraft. So if you've done the type rating course for an A320, you can't just go and fly a 737 the next day. You've got to do the type rating course for that. And because the regulator wants you to be quite proficient in your knowledge of the aeroplane that you're flying, you can't have a whole uh, pocket full of type ratings. They're very restricted. So, for example, you could have the A320, the A330, stroke A350, but what you can't have is current and available to be utilised on a day-by-day basis. The A320 and the 737, they're just too different. So that's how it all works. So uh, with that in mind, then, so as you say,
1: you've you've completed your PPL, you've done your commercial, that kind of thing. Is there a a sort of a natural step where you would start, certainly, as far as like commercial um, licenses and things are concerned? I mean, or or does it depend on which airline that you're attached to as to how the what route you go down? I mean, is there a, a plane that almost everyone is essentially type rated on?
3: Okay, so light aircraft don't have a type rating. So okay. the PA twenty eight that I took you up in, yes, 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 um, yes. It, it falls under a a class category. So it's single engine, piston. Right. So if you have that uh, class on your license, you can fly a PA twenty eight, a Cessna one hundred and fifty, uh, Tobago, um, basically because they're all single engine piston. Then there are a couple of sort of bolt-ons, if you like. So uh, if you have a retractable undercarriage or variable speed propeller, these are little extras that you have to be signed off for. Um, And there are a whole variety of licenses because, of course, as I mentioned to you, there's there's rotary, so helicopters, Uh, there's gliders, there's uh, multi-engine piston, Uh, then there's uh, land and sea, because obviously if you're going to go and go out and uh, operate a seaplane, then there's a different category for that. And there's also balloons and airships. Oh,
1: wow. Oh, wow. And and they're, they're still classed under the, the same thing, essentially. You still need a specific license in order to be able to, yes. to have them airborne, so, essentially.
3: Absolutely. So it does get slightly complicated. But to go back to your question, really, if someone is looking to progress themselves to become what we'll just class as an airline pilot. You can do it in one of two ways. You can do it modular, so you build your way up bit by bit, chunk by chunk, which is what a lot of people have done, myself included. Or you can basically go down the complete integrated path where you will do the training from beginning to end as, a, as an entire course. And some people will choose to do that And then tag on to a university degree. So they will uh, come out with a frozen airline transport pilot's licence and a BSc in aviation management or something of that order. Uh, You mentioned about being associated with an airline. Sadly, there are very, very few airlines that will sponsor your training. So with almost no exceptions, that's all self-funded. Oh, wow.
1: So, I mean, we're talking like stupid amounts of money then essentially to to get to the position that Uh, between
3: 70 and 150 thousand pounds euros dollars it's all broadly the same
1: wow okay in some respects it almost explains to me why pilots are so passionate about their job because essentially they've had to literally put everything into this in order to become what they want to become
3: absolutely i mean there are People who have chosen to go down the integrated route, obviously there are lots of them, um, and those will be the sums of money that they've paid. For a lot of people, they're not in the position to be able to afford to do that, so they've had to go down the modular route. And that naturally tends to go into the flow of that you do some of your training and then you become an instructor, so you teach people how to fly for PPL and so forth. Or maybe do some air taxi work or do some glider towing. Aerial survey work is quite uh, popular these days. So, you know, all those nice Google Maps and stuff are quite often done by, by aircraft as well as by satellite imagery. And so. also
1: there seems to be an awful lot of people who like throwing people out of airplanes as well. That seems to be a common uh, uh, amusement, shall we say. as part uh, Parachute of dumpers. Planet. Yeah, yes. that's another one. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. Well, I mean, just sort of getting back to what you were talking about. I mean, I know, for example, your your the main aircraft that you've been flying is obviously the A320. So mm-hmm. d- does being type rated on the A320, does that mean that you can fly a range of aircraft? Or is it only specifically that model? Or, or I mean, are there similarities between one aircraft and, you know, an Airbus product? Uh, I understand okay. obviously it would be very different going from Boeing to Airbus. But Okay.
3: So in the airliner world, things tend to be grouped into thousands fam- Okay. So the A320 family covers the A318, 319, 320 and 321. Uh, the 737 family uh, with a little bit of sort of additional training covers you from the 737-200 all the way up to the dash 800 and the, the max with additional training, but it's all effectively one type rating or, or those are two separate type ratings, if you see what I mean, but you get, get the family. So in the same way as if you have the A330 family, you also get the A350 because they're broadly the same aircraft. Um, so that that's, that's from a regulatory point of view, an airline itself Uh, for insurance reasons or uh, safety management reasons, wouldn't just throw you in the aeroplane that you've never seen before and say, crack on, lad. (laughs) Um, So so there there, there will be some in-house training, but from the regulator's point of view, that they see enough commonality between... Uh, the two. I mean, one of your favourite airplanes, the 757. Oof,
1: right, yes.
3: He's <laughs> in the same family as the 767. So okay. someone who flies the 75 can fly the 76, 76 and vice yeah. versa. Even, uh, even again, though
1: one is like a, a wide bar- body and one's an narrow body. Yes. right.
3: Yeah. Uh, so there are sufficient similarities for the uh, the regulator to say that it's close enough for us, because they know that the airlines will undertake. Uh, additional training right. to cover the, the the different types if you like wow
1: well as always al these are fascinating subjects uh thank you very
3: much you're most welcome
0: absolutely love those episodes matt and i'll tell you, the, the effort that you guys put into those each uh, each week is is legendary honestly Everyone I know is, it's including my father. I will just yeah, say. I can say what is um, he up to now. <laughs> <laughs> he's waiting for this one to come oh, out. Oh, is it so oh, all right? That, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I did used to give him like the pre-attachment so he could look at the episodes before they get released on a get broadcast oh, on Friday oh, night. Oh, honestly, it, honestly, I, it's I'm not making, what you know. It's who, isn't it? Honestly. <laughs> but the thing of it is, now he's he's got his fancy uh, fancy TV now. You see, he watches us on his TV at home, so I make sure that he watches the show. Probably oh, is there is there um is there problems with his TV
1: aerial then is that what? <laughs> no
0: no 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 he he he's loving having a smart TV Honestly, right okay he's loving a smart TV oh,
1: dear never mind anyway uh, to those who yeah. have just joined us from Air show World we say a very good evening. Uh, Stu's obviously been doing his uh, doing a little uh, uh, from the cutting room or the editing room uh, uh, this evening so uh, welcome welcome aboard everyone Uh, and um, you've joined us just in time for what many would argue is the best part of the show and uh, for that what we do is we hand things over to the legend that is Sir Armando.
4: This is great. I, I love that they're receiving my payments because this every time that they come over at this time, <laughs> it means that the viewership for the military goes up. Yeah. So hey, yeah. I'll be looking for that raise next year, Carlos.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm putting that through the books now, Mondo. Yeah, you yeah. should have that in 2030.
4: Oh, good. Well, I, as we were just talking about, you can easily just pay me in, in tea.
1: Thai food. honestly. Oh. Yeah, we're going to put that right. We're going to put that right. Oh, Yorkshire tea, there's... my friend.
4: Because there's no history between the U.S. and the U.K. with tea or anything like that. No. We'll Anyways, gloss. Sh-
1: should we gloss over that and move on? Uh, <laughs> just, just, just tell me to press the button and let's go.
4: <laughs> let's do some military Matt. Hit Yay! the button. All right, friends, as you all probably know already, we lost a great aviator this week, uh, retired Air Force Brigadier General Chuck Yeager, a World War II fighter pilot, ace quintessential test pilot who showed he had the right stuff when, in 1947, he became the first person to fly faster than the speed of sound. He uh, has passed away at the age of 97. Yeager died on Monday, his wife, Victoria Yeager, said on his Twitter account. Um, They mentioned, it is with profound sorrow. I must tell you that my life-love General Chuck Yeager passed just before 9 p.m. Eastern time. An incredible life, well-lived, America's greatest pilot, and a legacy of strength, adventure, and patriotism will be remembered forever. Yeager's death is a tremendous loss to our nation, according to NASA Administrator Jim Brindenstein. Uh, He said in a statement, General Yeager's pioneering and innovative spirit advanced America's abilities in the sky and set our nation's dreams soaring into the jet age and the space age. He said, you don't concentrate on risks, you concentrate on results. No risk is too great to prevent the necessary job from getting done, according to him. So Yeager from a small town in the hills of West Virginia flew more than 60 years, including piloting an F-15 to nearly thousand miles per hour at Edwards Air Force Base on October 2002 at the age of 79. Uh, he said in his biography, uh, his autobiography, living to a ripe old age is not an end in itself. The trick is to enjoy the years remaining. I haven't, done, I haven't yet done everything, but by the time I'm finished, I won't have missed much. If I auger in tomorrow, it won't be with a frown on my face. I've had a ball. That's a, a great quote from a, from a great aviator. On October 14, 1947, Yeager, who was a 24-year-old captain, pushed an orange bullet-shaped Bell X-1 rocket plane past 660 miles per hour to break the sound barrier, at at that time a daunting aviation milestone. He said in 1968, sure, I was apprehensive. When you're fooling around with something you don't know much about, there has to be apprehension, but you don't let that affect your job. That modest uh, Chuck Yeager said in 1947 he could have gone even faster if the plane had carried a little bit more fuel. He said the ride was nice, just like riding in a fast car. Yeager nicknamed the rocket plane and all his other aircraft, Glamorous Glenis, for his first wife who died in 1990. Yeager's feat was kept top secret for about a year when the world thought that the British had broken the sound barrier first. Uh, it wasn't a matter of not having airplanes that would fly at speeds like this. It was a matter of keeping them from falling apart, according to him. 65 years later, to the minute on October 14, 2012, Jaeger uh, commemorated the feat flying in the back scene of an F-15 as it broke the sound barrier at more than 30,000 feet above California's Mojave Desert. His exploits were told in Tom Wolfe's book, The Right Stuff, and an incredible movie it inspired in 1983. So Chuck Yeager was born in uh, 1923 in Myra, a, tiny, a com- tiny community on the Mud River in a deep Appalachian hollow about 40 miles southwest of Char- Charleston. The family later moved to Hamlin, the county seat. His father was an oil and gas driller and a farmer. What really strikes me looking over all those years is how lucky I was. How lucky, for example, to have been born in 1923, not 1963, So that I came of age just as aviation itself was entering into the modern era, said Chuck Yeager in 1985 at a speech at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. He also said, I was just a lucky kid who caught the ride. He enlisted in the Army Air Corps after graduating from high school in 1941. He later regretted that his lack of college education prevented him from becoming an astronaut. He started off as an aircraft mechanic and despite becoming severely air sick during his first airplane ride, he signed up for a program that allowed enlisted men to become pilots. We actually have that program once again. Uh, Jaeger shot down 13 German planes on 64 missions during World War II, including five on a single mission. He was shot down over German held France, but escaped with the help of French partisans. At the end of World War II, he became a test pilot at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Among the flights he made after breaking the sound barrier was one in uh, December 12, 1953, when he flew an X-1A to a record of more than 1,600 miles per hour. He said he had gotten up at dawn that day and went hunting, bagging a goose just before his flight. That night, his family ate the goose for dinner. <laughs> He returned to combat during the Vietnam War, flying several missions on a twin-engine B-57 Canberra, uh, making bombing and strafing runs over South Vietnam. Uh, Chuck Yeager also commanded Air Force fighter squadrons and, uh, and wings at the Aerospace Research Pilot School uh, for military astronauts. Uh, he continued on. Uh, actually, he said in, in an article in Men's Journal in 2009, I've flown... 341 types of military airplanes in every country in the world and logged about 18,000 hours. Uh, It might sound funny, but I've never owned an airplane in my life. If you're willing to bleed, Uncle Sam will give you all the planes you want. (laughs) (laughs) When Chuck Yeager left Hamlin, West Virginia, he was already known to be a daredevil. On later visits, he often buzzed the town. I lived just down the street from, uh, from his mother, said Gene Brewer, a retired publisher of the weekly Lincoln Journal. One day I climbed up on my roof with my 8 millimeter camera and he flew overhead. I thought he was going to take me off the roof. You can see the the treetops in the bottom of the pictures. <laughs> Chuck Yeager flew an F-80 under Charleston Bridge at 450 miles per hour uh, in 1948, according to newspaper accounts. Uh, when he was asked to repeat the feat for photographers, Yeager replied, you should never strafe the same place twice because the the gunners will be waiting for you. Uh, Yeager never forgot his roots and West Virginia named bridges, schools, and Charleston's airport are all named after him. Um, My beginnings back in West Virginia tell who I am to this day, he wrote. Uh, My accomplishments as a test pilot tell more about luck, happenstance, and a a person's destiny. But the guy who broke the sound barrier was the kid who swam the mud river was a sw- uh, with a swiped watermelon or shot, off the hef- shot the head off a squirrel before going to school. Yeager was awarded the Silver Star, the Distinguished Flying Cross, the Bronze Star, the Air Medal, and a Purple Heart. President Harry S. Truman awarded him the Collier Air Trophy in December 1948 for his breaking of the sound barrier. He also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1985. Chuck Yeager retired from the Air Force in 1975 and moved to a ranch in Cedar Ridge in Northern California, where he continued working as a consultant to the Air Force and the Northrop Corporation and became well-known to younger generations as a television pitchman for automotive parts and heat pumps. He married the Glenis Dickhouse of uh, Oroville, California in 1945. She died of cancer December 1990. They had four children, Donald, Michael, Sharon, and Susan, and in 2003, he married Victoria D'Angelo. So, blue skies and tailwinds to General Chuck Yeager, just an absolute legend in aviation.
0: Actually, I saw some video of him, um, Armando, not from too long ago, and he was he was actually quite an active um, guy, really. You know, right up until you know when he passed away, he he wasn't like sitting there, kind of you know doing nothing. He he was getting out and about. Videos that I saw of him.
4: Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of person that I hope I am at the age Mm. of 80 and 90. And and I I know some of my local pilots, I don't know, maybe there's a a link between aviation and being cognitively sprightly uh, at that age. But I know some pilots that are just man, they just have it together at uh, at some more advanced ages, let's say.
1: Maybe it's all about the brain activity, isn't it?
4: Well, Perhaps it's either it's yeah. either that or the radio frequency waves. Okay, I, 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 either will do the job. Either will do the job.
0: Anyway, a lovely tribute there. Thank you, Armand. Yeah, very uh, nice. Very well done. Next story is uh, comes to us from thedrive. dot com, and um, actually, this was sent in to us from a, for a few listeners. Uh, Ray Davis, as well, being one of them, uh, over in Australia. So, thanks to you, Ray. And uh, this one is a crew ejecting from an Australian Super Hornet after an aborted takeoff. For those of you who have seen the video, this is quite uh, interesting, actually. Two Royal Australian Air Force aviators ejected safely from their FA-18F Super Hornet fighter jet after an aborted takeoff at RAF Base Amberley uh, this week, the video and video uh, photos of the incident show the jet came off the runway and seemed to have ended up with some damage to its nose gear. Uh, the Super Hornet, which some sources have identified as serial number Alpha 44-223, was preparing to depart Amberley on a north-south axis on the afternoon of the eighth of December local time when the accident occurred. It was reportedly the third aircraft within a group of around seven jets that were leaving for a training exercise. The Australian Department of Defence confirmed that both of the crew members were safe and that no other personnel were involved in the incident. The video shows the Super Hornet, which wears the markings of the Royal Australian Air Force's No. 6 squadron on its tail, carrying an AIM-120 air-to-air missile underneath each wing, as well as a single AIM-9X, an air combat manoeuvring instrumentation pod in addition to two external fuel tanks, but it's not clear from the footage if the missiles were live. An additional image shows uh, that appeared on social media of the aftermath of the incident shows scorch marks from the ejection seats on the sides of the forward fuselage uh, of the Super Hornet, while the nose gear has either collapsed or sunk into the ground. I think it's sunk if I looked at that video a few times. Uh, with the jet ending up in a nose-down attitude on the right side of the runway. Crash tenders are also seen on the scene, which is standard procedure, and there's no indications that there was any fire. Australia has a fleet of 24 fa 18 fs all based at Amberley. The fleet achieved full operational capability in December 2012, and the jets have since participated in combat missions, including Operation Carrar. Uh, the Australian Defence Force's contribution to operations over Iraq and Syria. At this time, the cause of the Super Hornet incident is not unknown, or is still unknown, and uh, according to Andrew Green, Defence Correspondent for Australia's National Broadcast, ABC, Australia's uh, Chief of Air Force, Air Marshal Mel Hupfeld, uh, has confirmed the entire RAAF fleet of F-18F Super Hornets and EA 18 grammar feats have been grounded, pending an investigation into the incident at Amberley. Now, I did, like I said, watch that I watched that video a few times. It's been on uh, YouTube, Twitter, I think it's been on pretty much every social media platform in the world. And I think the um, the nose sunk, I think, into soft ground. I don't know, I don't think the nose gear collapsed. Um, but what what did I wouldn't say amuse me, what did kind of um, kind of make me look was that the the video when it plays out, you see obviously the pilots who have ejected landing uh, on the on the field, and then it it just amused me the the way the the jet just roll amble ambles by in yeah, some it just kind, kind of, of slow bubbles on into the grass, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, no pilotless F eighteen just just cruising on along, along until it just stops.
4: Yeah, I had a lot of the same questions when I watched that video, and and thanks to Ray because Ray sent me this um, when uh, shortly after it had happened. I think it had made it in the in, onto the news there in Australia. And, uh, and actually, you know, I was never a fighter guy. I was, I was vertical lift. And um, Captain Nick had a a great point on this uh, yesterday where at that point there, you, we have no idea what was going on inside that, that, that cockpit, the both engines could have completely failed. There could have been some other things going on. It, nobody ever ejects lightly. You know that there's a pretty good chance that you're going to get hurt and while the airplane, because I initially thought also, I was like, "Oh man, they could just ride that in." And it looks like it could have just, you know, pumped the emergency brakes and put it to a stop. Um, but I, you know, I, we none of us are here to to second guess anybody that punches from an airplane, because they they know that that's going to be an emotional event. And for example, back in 2018 in Nellis uh, at Nellis Air Force Base, I think it was part of Red Flag, um, an Australian uh, EA eighteen. Um, the electronic attack one suffered a, a, an uncontained engine failure. Now that airplane was really, really badly damaged. Um, so uh, now in that case, the pilots were on the runway. They also decided to stay with the airplane and bring it to a stop. Could have been a, a slightly different situation, but I, I know as soon as you, you know, you put in the power and, and those engines start falling apart and that airplane starts shaking and you think it's going to all burst up in flames. Maybe punching is is the the best course of action. So, well, of course, hey.
1: and and it is risky, isn't it? Because if you're not in the air, um, you're re- relying an awful lot on not, you know, to to get you they, the ejection system doesn't work quite so well on the ground.
4: Yeah. Well, it, it, so the, the the seats are designed to be a zero zero ejection. We talked about this last week when we were talking about the, uh, the F sixteen crash at Shaw Air Force Base. Um, those seats are designed to be uh, zero airspeed, zero altitude. Um, however, um, what we don't see is is the beginning of the video is how fast were they going? If they got some smash going down that runway and, and there's some kind of, uh, engine failure that, uh, that could have damaged the hydraulic system, then you may not even have auxiliary brakes or emergency brakes. So if you're, if you're doing 130 miles per hour and you don't, you don't think you're going to bring that airplane to a stop. Um, if you guys remember in, uh, I think it was Oshkosh a couple years ago, there was an F-16 that ended up on its back. Uh, Cause it, it kind of bumbled uh, off yeah. the runway like this, Remember right? That. Yeah. Now in, in that case, I think one, one, uh, crew was injured. The other one was fine. But, but for me, that's terrifying to be stuck in an airplane upside down, waiting a couple hours for a crane to come over and, and, and flip us back over. That, that's not where I want to be. So, hey the, the, the martin baker advertises that the seat, the ejection seats supposed to work so sometimes you just got to trust it and go
0: <laughs> go go with it yeah absolutely actually it's worth noting as well the video came from uh, abc news australia for uh, that to play yeah, out yeah. absolutely make sure yeah. you search uh, details uh, will be
1: in the show notes if you want to take a look at that video uh, if you're listening to the audio version of the show many thank you for downloading our, our original format which is of course the podcast
0: So next story for you, Armando, and there's a bit of thieving going on.
4: Yeah, this is a really interesting one because I actually didn't even know this airplane existed. Um, So this one's from Business Insider, and and somebody broke into Russia's doomsday plane and stole a bunch of radios. According to them, an unidentified person stole equipment from an IL-80 Maxdome, uh, Russian media outlet RIA Novosti, reported on December 7th. According to the Russian state-owned news agency, the aircraft was undergoing maintenance, at uh, taganrog Zuzny Airfield in the Rostov region when the morning activities on the uh, IL-80 highlighted signs of a break-in in in the cargo hatch. Subsequent investigation revealed that the radio equipment described as 39 radio stations were missing from the airplane. Uh, The aircraft operations engineer said that the tank was, uh, I assume that's that's the unit, uh, was replacing the lubricant on the landing gear rods According to him, all onboard instruments were in place at the time of aircraft acceptance. Um, after the completion of the work, the main entrance, the cargo compartment hatch, three emergency exits were all sealed. The last time they were examined was on November 26th. All the seals were intact. Um, that's according to the BBC Russian uh, service. So military expert reserve uh, Colonel Andrei Koshkin said to a news outlet that the theft may involve people who actually work directly at the facility. It is possible that the preparatory information that would ensure the execution of this crime was collected from the lips of those who directly work there. Uh, The colonel stressed that this was a planned operation. He noted that such cases occur but then investigations are carried out. The reasons are clarified and all the shortcomings that were identified in the security of the facilities are eliminated. That's probably a a loose translation from Russian. Um, The aircraft involved in this incident is one of four IL-80 aircraft, heavily modified IL-86 airliners used as the airborne command center in a role similar to that of the U.S. Boeing uh, E-4Bs. Um, They are in service with the 8th Special Purpose Aviation Division at uh, Chakalovsky Airport near Moscow. The IL-80 is designed to keep top Russian officials, including the president, alive and safe and able to communicate with Russian forces in the case of nuclear war. For this reason, the Max Dome does not feature any external windows other than the cockpit. um, And it is equipped with domes, bulges, antennas, all meant to block electromagnetic pulses, radio frequency pulses, and to shield against nuclear blasts while ensuring the ability to communicate with other assets, including ballistic missile submarines when the ground infrastructure is heavily damaged. Um, In May 2019, Deputy Defense Minister Alexei Krivoruchko said that the research and development work on the modernization of airborne command posts based on the IL-80 had been completed in Russia and the work had begun on re-equipment of the existing aircraft. Um, So the American counterpart, we did a a story on this a couple weeks ago, I think the replacement has been de- delayed, what was the story? But the, uh, the American counterpart to this is the, the uh, E-4B, it's a modified Boeing 747-200 uh, that serves as a National Airborne Operations Center. Four aircraft based at Offutt Air Force Base, Nebraska, are responsible to keep the U.S. Secretary of Defense, the Joint Chiefs, and other top uh, government official- officials alive in the event of, quote, Armageddon. Um, there now, we go. So, now, um, interestingly yeah, enough,
1: like, Lane saying that you know, does, does this smell of insurance fraud to you? I mean, mm. Mm, it just oh, seems
0: no. all seems a bit suspicious. Got I, I just honest. think I just think that someone's ripped off the A three forty dash three hundred. Just saying. <laughs> it, Honestly, if you put, I've just done it on, I've just done it on Google here next to me here. I've just put the A340-300 and, and the picture of this, uh, this Russian plane side by side. They're very similar. Just saying.
4: Very yeah. similar. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> and, and, and you know what this, I, I mean, it has to be an inside job because a plane like this, I know at least ours, our NAOCs, our E4Bs are, are <laughs> under some serious lock and key like there are armed guards. There, it is one of the most secure facilities in the world, I would imagine. Um, how they could get away with this, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Hmm. Um, so, guys, we're supposed to have a, a very special guest um, coming up with us here. And uh, uh, before we do that, Matt, if you get some of these videos ready, yep. um, what we can do is actually just is go through a couple of them. Um, so Jody Ruger, uh, I've, I've met Jody a couple times in person. I met her two years ago at Reno, um, little, little secret. She's actually married to Sean Van Hetten, who was on the same episode as Ariel Tweedo. Um, (laughs) I'm sure producer John is going to figure out exactly what episode that is. So I can tell you guys, um, Jody's a fantastic person. She was an airline pilot. Uh, until just recently I, I believe she's been furloughed or still on furlough from from her airline um, episode 327 we're being told uh, go back <laughs> and check it out because sean's <laughs> sean talks about an in-flight emergency that's that's pretty impressive but yeah. um so jody last time we talked to her she was flying a a, a, a pits special around uh, and learning some aerobatics she's got some great videos online and um, on TikTok she's actually been doing a little bit of education. So Matt, uh if you pick the video, I will talk through it.
1: Okay. All right. Should we should we do some air show dance first of all? Should we have a, should Air we have a show at... dance
4: is a great introduction. Yeah,
1: there we go. Okay. So here comes the little video now. I won't let you turn around and tell me now
4: I'm too proud to walk away from something okay. when it's dead? So here So here Jody is uh and I believe her first airplane, this was before the pits. And um, I, this is a Vans RV. It's an experimental airplane. And you can see something that is very, very unique to, I think, skydivers, airshow show performers. And what she means by the air show dance is that mental rehearsal before you go and fly. Um, you know, I've seen bobsled teams do it. It's, it's like a, a, a real-life three-dimensional chair flying. And they, you know, when you go to Oshkosh, you see some of these pilots that are, that are going through this. And, and it looks like they're, the, the voices may have finally got to them. <laughs> um, the schizophrenia has set in. But you can see that uh, in this particular video, jo- Jody is going through her entire routine um, mentally in the ground. So there's no question as to what she's going to do in the air when she gets up there.
1: It's, I mean, it's 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 not something that we've sort of really spoken about. But when we when when people are doing uh, uh, you know aerobatics and things like that, I mean, as you say, like the mental preparation uh, that must be required for for something like this, because as you say, planning is key with stuff like this, isn't it? And if anything, you know, any it's so easily something could go wrong, couldn't it?
4: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's one of the things is you're always planning an exit strategy yeah (laughs) you're contingency planning for every single one of those moods, because uh you know just like we were talking about having smash going down the runway it's all about energy management and uh, things uh, bad things happen when you don't have the the energy built up in in the airplane to to get yourself out of it
1: absolutely fantastic i love it so
4: i'll tell you what matt if you have it ready there's another video and it's the the little girl that goes yep. flying okay yep. now this, oh, video, this is cool absolutely one of my favorites yeah uh so this is jody and this video i think we may have actually played last time but this is fantastic and this has actually gone viral since we played it uh and this is a young girl and i'll let jody when she comes on talk uh talk to us perhaps about about that little girl herself but uh it, this is something that. Let, let's. Needless to say, my six-year-old. We didn't have this kind of experience when she flew for the first time.
1: <laughs> is, is that something you've ever been tempted to do, Armando? What's that? Like this? This whole era you know, aerobatics. Oh yeah. Nonsense.
4: Yeah, we. I've done it. I did it there in the UK. We have you? That extra. Yeah, we did that interview with uh, British Aerobatics Academy. Um, Adrian Willis over in Peterborough, and actually, that they've moved over to a new facility. Um, different airfield i forget the, the the airfield um they were at uh connington i, I believe but uh they actually do ride so anybody in the uk you can uh, contact them british aviation academy aerobatics academy and uh, and they'll take you up for they say 30 minutes you probably won't last 15 <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: or me but yeah three. you can see in this video
4: yeah. this little girl yeah. is just having a blast and uh, jody has taken her through some aileron rolls and some loops and some barrel rolls uh,
0: yeah I, this, this kid seriously loves because i mean most kids I, I think most kids would be scared out of their wit but this this girl, little girl on here this is what i loved about the video she absolutely loves every minute yeah. what, what's going on here yeah. Richard Adams so is actually saying, I bet that little girl
1: is going to be at Reno one day. And I, and I suspect yeah. he's probably right. Yeah. As you say, joy I, on our first.
4: I hope she will be at Reno and I hope she's in the cockpit of, a, of yeah. one of the airplanes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, producer John, I think it was two episode two sixty, two six zero. two six zero. Yep. Two six zero. And that's the, the episode that you can go back and look at. And there's a, a great, uh, actually great onboard video from, from that and some of the pilots there. Um, there you go. So I just talked to Jody. She's, she's logging on right now, but okay. I'll, I'll bet you if we play some of these other videos. Yeah. You really okay. in
0: so inspiring got... young kids as well. I think it's so yeah. important inspiring young children yeah. to get into aviation it is so so.
1: Indeed. Uh, so we've got a, so uh, th- this one here is uh, actually, I think from Instagram, this one, um, it's uh, uh, talking about the air shows. I think again,
4: yep. This was, this was Jodie's TikTok video. I'm an old man. I don't even know what TikTok is. I just <laughs> like, that's that's TikTok to me. The clocks that are behind my right. my head. Okay. <laughs> but this this was a, a genius way for Jody to announce her her uh, air show schedule for next year. Um, and I'll tell you what. Why don't we just ask her personally? <laughs> Hi, Jody. Hi, guys.
2: I'll see you at the Ocean Air Show this
4: 2020. There we go.
1: And here she is. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for
2: joining
4: Welcome, us. Jody. <laughs> Welcome, Jody. Welcome back to the show.
2: <laughs> Thanks.
0: How, how are things Are you, Jody? How is life treating you uh, this uh, this close to Christmas?
2: Uh, it's had a lot of ups and downs this year, that's for sure. But uh, definitely making the most of it and um, spending a lot of quality time with the Thunder Mustang lately, so that's been fun. <laughs>
4: Well, I love your your background there, man. These Zoom virtual backgrounds are getting super crazy and super <laughs> realistic.
0: He's just got to back with a cat.
2: Yay! <laughs> he's a bit of a troublemaker. We're gonna have to watch out for him.
4: That's well, all right. As long as he's uh, as long as he doesn't eat the audio, we should be fine. It's <laughs> an audio podcast. <laughs> Jody. So since last time you were on the show, uh, I think we talked a little bit about being a first officer on the seven thirty-seven. We talked a little bit about the pit. It's, um, so your air show career, right, is taking off. To have, to, to use aviation puns, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> of course. How did uh, how
4: did you decide to go this way with the air, uh, joining the air show circuit?
2: Well, I um, when I first started getting my pilot license, I moved to St. Marie, and I was going to flight school there. My dad was dropping me off, and we were sitting at this pub grabbing lunch together. And the Red Bull Air Races came on TV. And I was looking at that thinking, man, that is so cool. Like, I wish I could do that. And I was way too shy to tell anybody that's what I wanted to do because it sounded so crazy and out of reach. I had like 60 hours and a private pilot license. So I looked at the requirements and it was that you needed to be top 50% in the world's in competitive aerobatics and unlimited and uh, surface level air show waiver. So when I moved out to BC, I found a flight school that had aerobatics because I was really interested in it. I wanted to learn how to teach it. And I spent half my paycheck every month getting checked out on the Super Decathlon in Cetabria and worked a bartending job on the side just to be able to (laughs) survive the uh, flight instructor wage. And from there, I did my first aerobatic competition and my safety pilot, because I had to borrow a US plane um, was an airshow performer named Will Allen and he was really impressed with my flying and avoiding that competition and he loved what I was doing with the aerobatic club that I was helping manage so he asked if I would come crew for him and he started kind of teaching me the ropes on the airshow side of things not just the competition stuff and then in exchange for working for him as a crew member I got to use his planes for competitive flying and be able to keep on doing that so That's where I I started to get into the air show thing. I wasn't sure I was going to love it as much as I do. I thought the competition was really awesome, but uh, air shows has been amazing too. And and you get your whole air show family and there's a lot that goes with it.
4: So that was actually one of the questions that I was going to ask you is, have you had a mentor or an instructor that has brought you to this level? And I think you answered that, but I guess what that made me think of is, compared to a lot of people that get into aerobatics later in their careers, I mean, you, you know them, there's a lot of retired airline pilots that are like, hey, I think I got enough money to go buy a pit um, or an extra, right? And and then how many extras do you, can you watch tumbling out of the sky at Oshkosh? Um, what, do you think there was an advantage for you to get into aerobatics earlier on in your, in your aviation career?
2: Yes and no. I, I know that For me, because I decided to go the um, pilot as a career version of this, it made it a lot more difficult in the early stage of my career to be able to afford it. Um, But because I couldn't afford it and I had to really work my way to the top, I got a lot more experience along the way and a lot more mentorship because I was spending time with the right people and shadowing people in the right environment. So that opened up opportunities to meet a lot of people who are experts closer to me. And, uh, I I got taken under a lot of people's wings along the way. So that was to me, a really incredible learning opportunity, especially because what we do in the air show circuit has such small margins for safety. So anything that you can take in along the way to, to help yourself learn to be as safe as possible is so valuable. And uh, so in in that way, it was really good. Um, I don't think that I was above the poverty line for the first eight years of my flying career as a result, but I had probably the most fun along the way. And and there's certainly a long period of time there where it was like every day was the best day of my life. So, you know, I I can't trade that for the world.
4: You know, what's funny is is you don't even know it, but we were actually talking about that earlier in the show about uh, furloughs and pay cuts and how... There's always, we do this because we love it, because it's in our blood and, and you just need to have that feeling of being in the air. So, yeah,
2: absolutely.
4: so uh, I, we won't dwell too much about 2020, but how did 2020 derail your plans? I, I know you, you had, you had, a, I know we were supposed to meet up at Reno and, th- and you were going to be at PRS um, and then potentially race in this, in the sport class. But how else has 2020 derailed your plans?
2: <laughs> well, before 2020 really got underway, um, I was on track to be a captain at the airline that I was working for. The airline was actually going to sponsor me because my, my air show act, a lot of it happened out of one of our major hubs in Abbotsford. So we were talking about vinyling the whole airplane, um, making them a title sponsor. I had 13 air shows lined up and then march happened uh the company i was working for laid off 80 percent of the pilots i only had two and a half years in so my seniority was relatively low so i was definitely on the chopping block um and it was further complicated for me because i got married in february and my husband's american so we had planned on me eventually ending up in the u.s But at that point, if I had taken unemployment and taken the layoff, I would have disqualified myself from immigration. I have to prove I will never be a burden to the U.S. taxpayers. So I had to take the severance package and just try to survive (laughs) on my savings and the severance package until my immigration went through. All my air shows ended up canceling very slowly, one by one. And uh, so I, I just took it upon myself to figure, Okay, well, I've got all this time. And I need to find something to do with it to make myself better at the end. So, our, our friend that owns this uh, maintenance shop bought this Thunder Mustang, and I was asking, hey, can I come learn from you on the AMP side of things? And uh, he let me come in the shop and help rebuild the Thunder Mustang, and uh, things kind of escalated from there. And then we're not sure what was happening with Reno, so we decided to make it an airshow plane rather than just a race plane.
4: Okay, so that, is, well, let's go into that. So last time we talked to you, um, we had played, uh, and I believe it was to episode 238, the episode titled uh, Smarties and a Glass of Water. Uh, so you were, you were in the Satabria back then, and then we just watched the, the video that went viral, of you and the little girl flying, and that was an RV-6 or
2: 7? Yeah, that was an RV-6. So that was my air plane from last season. And uh-huh. um, one of my, um, my, my, biggest mentor, Ken, that was his granddaughter. So we were all hoping, uh, you know, she'll, she might even become a third generation airshow pilot one day because her dad is also an airshow pilot. And when she met me, I don't know why she decided she just loved me right away. And she had to go flying. And every oh, time wouldn't? I saw her, <laughs> <laughs> every single time I saw her, she would come up to me and be like, Jody, can we go flying today? And one day I showed up to do air show practice, and she was watching cartoons with her grandma on the couch at the airport, and she said, hey, can we go flying today? And I was like, you know what? Uh, I think we can. So I called up her dad, and I made her ask him on speakerphone, and (laughs) he said yes. So she actually, she took to it so naturally. I looked at that video, and every time she's not smiling away because we're pulling Gs, she's looking at me really critically and following along everything I do to the point where she actually tried to rotate the plane before we were quite fast enough. And I had to tell her, hold, hold on. And then I started actually showing her like, this is when we pull. And, uh, the second time I went flying with her, she did her own role and her own loop, which oh is just six wow. years old. I mean, she's going to be a little prodigy.
4: <laughs> oh, that's exactly what we were talking about. When we played out the video, we were like, man, we're hope that yeah. we see her at Reno in one of these race planes one day.
0: It's just you expect most children that age, Jodie, to be, like, freaking out. Like, no, I don't want to do
4: this. But she's, like, she's just, she's just like, so, you know,
0: she wants to be there. And I I'd expect, I'd expect that when the time came for you to, uh, to, to come back to land, I expect she's quite upset. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, she was so cute. And the funniest thing about that, when we landed, she wouldn't tell anybody we had gone flying. And people would ask, hey, did you go flying with Jodie? She'd say, nope. Except... When her brother went up in the same plane after with her grandpa and he said, I did two loop to loop, and she goes, Well, I did three. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out, you know, why wouldn't she want people to know that she went flying? And and I talked to her grandpa and he told me when his kids told their friends what they did on the weekend and they go to all these air shows and do all these really incredible things, his friends would think he was a liar. And he'd be like, dad, no, tell them I really did this. So I think that these kids just have, you know, such an incredible experience, but um, almost so much so that people don't believe them. And, and she actually, like, didn't matter who asked her, she denied going flying unless she had to show her little brother up.
4: Well, Jody, I want to go back and talk about the airplanes a little bit. So that was in the RV. Um, so you mentioned somehow you and Sean ended up with a Thunder Mustang.
2: sorry the the audio cut out for a second there
4: so so the from the rv and i I know you were flying a pit you and sean somehow ended up with a thunder mustang so how what's the story behind that airplane and how did you guys decide to turn that into an airshow airplane
2: so that one actually um is owned by ai systems which is a good friend of ours his uh amp shop and He was saying, okay, I I need a pilot. I want to race it. I got, you know, a pretty good deal on the plane. And um, he said, between you and Sean, Sean already has a a ride for Reno. And I had already taken my Formula One ground school, but I had to drop it when I got my 737 ground school uh, the same week as Reno. So he knew I was interested in sport class. And he said, you know, I think you're a lot more marketable than Sean anyway. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so, no, kidding. um yeah he was he was looking for a pilot i was looking for something to do with all my newfound time off and it ended up being a really good fit especially because i mean sean is out there to win sport class he's got an incredible sponsor who is extremely focused on competing to the highest level and for this thunder mustang you know it's it might be in gold but it's not going to be first place it's it's going to be you know, a good race plane. And he said, I, I want corporate sponsorship because I want this thing to be able to pay for itself. I said, well, Reno is one event per year. And if we take it into the airshow circuit, it's going to have a lot more visibility. It's going to have a lot more events per year. And it's going to be a lot more marketable. Um, I've seen a lot more sponsors on the airshow circuit than I have on the racetrack. So you might want to consider doing both. And the really tragic thing that happened this year as, as part of the ups and downs of 2020 is my airshow mentor and my sponsor that owned the RV uh, both passed away in an aircraft accident. So all of a sudden, my world was upside down. I had uh, no airshow plane <laughs> that would was going to work out as far as I knew. I mean, we, we didn't know what was going to happen there. And we'd already been kind of talking about maybe doing this, but it it just made the whole thing a lot more real and a lot more serious.
4: Yeah. So what, so we we saw you doing the air show dance, the pilot dance, the air show performer dance. Um, What is, so now that we've shifted over from racing it to the air show circuit, what do you intend on showing off? Like, how, how are you going to show off the, the capabilities of the Thunder Mustang, which is actually an affordable airplane for people out there, as opposed to a real Mustang or a full-scale Mustang? And then how do you go about practicing that, developing the routine? How, how does an air show perform? And, we, and we've got a lot of listeners now from, from uh, air show world. Um, so how, what, what's some of the background that goes into developing a routine like that?
2: Well, you really have to work with the strengths of the airplane and the strengths of the pilot. You want to do what you can to make the display show off its strengths. So there's gonna be some differences between the Thunder Mustang and the full-scale P-51. And some of that we are gonna have to experiment a little bit. In terms of performance, there's a lot of maneuvers that you want to avoid with something with that huge prop up front it's like 94 inches in diameter and you know 640 horsepower so that's a lot of torque to deal with and the departure uh, from a high-speed stall in that airplane is another big concern so we're going to do a really rigorous test program uh we're beefing up the engine a lot because it is notorious for having a lot of failure modes since it's an automotive conversion there's a belt system no, yeah, Falconer, it's a V-12, V12. Falconer. Yeah. So with that belt system, it does drive the oil pump. If you lose something on that belt, uh, you, you will have an engine failure because the oil pressure will go down to zero and it's just a matter of seconds. What we're going to do is um, revamp that oil system to make it a lot more reliable. We're going to beef up that hardware and we're going to overhaul the engine much more frequently than recommended. Inspect the belts also a lot more frequently, and once the test program is underway, Sean's going to do the test flying on it for the first like envelope ex- envelope expansion and first flight. Then he's going to check me out, and I'll do the rest of it once we prove the aircraft is safe. And we're just going to start to really get the reliability of the engines where we want it, and practice the worst case scenarios because of the nature of that engine. Um, it is a little bit of an unknown because it's experimental. So the automotive conversion is not uh, really designed for the aircraft. We're, we're doing a lot to make sure that we can get it to where we want it to be. And we're going to proceed with a really cautious test program and prove the reliability, keep everything within a thousand miles for the first season. And um, yeah, just go ring the thing out up at altitude. It's going to not be very much different from what the RV was capable of. In many ways, I, we're not going to hammerhead it, <laughs> things like that, or it won't be a true hammerhead. It'll be more of like a, an aggressive wing-over type yeah. of airplane. So there's some modification that we're going to have to do to play to its strengths, and we're going to just figure out every worst case scenario and, and build in a lot of safety margin for that airplane.
4: I have, I have no doubt in my mind that you showing up on the air show circuit with a, with a Thunder Mustang you'll, you'll have plenty of sponsors and, and you're probably <laughs> going to be the star of the ramp because everybody loves a, a Mustang. You no. Know, and, you know, and, and especially, you know, at arena, there's a lot of information from those, those, uh, the two that have the two Thunder Mustangs that have been racing out there in sport class. So hopefully those guys can, can help help you guys out a little bit. I know Sean can probably reach in. Um, so we, uh, before, before I ask you about 2021, Carlos, Are there some questions in the chat room for Jody?
0: There are a number of questions in the chat room for Jody, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Um, um, One of the questions we've got is from Miles High, and uh, he's asking, what is the plane behind you, Jody?
2: Uh, So this airplane behind me is our Pitts S1S. It's a little bit ripped apart right now, so you might not notice that it's very much of an airplane since its wings are off. Uh, we're in the middle of doing an annual and we're going to be recovering the wings because we had 40 year old fabric on it and we just want to uh, recover it get it back up to standard and give it a new paint job for 2021.
0: Uh, Lee Davis or Lee Davies in the chat room uh, is asking uh, what's one of the highest G's you've pulled do you know?
2: Uh, probably in the extra 300, that plane's rated for 10. Uh, I think we push it to about nine and a half, but I mean, with Gs, it's, it's also a matter of how long you pull it. So if you pull a really high G for a short period of time, it can actually feel less bad than a prolonged lower G.
1: Have you ever pulled it and gone, nope, nope, enough?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I, um, when I got the pits, down to Edmonton we had a really really rough winter and I wasn't able to fly for about a month and a half because the weather was so bad I had this really short weather window of like an hour where it was good and I took it into the aerobatic box and I tried to make the best use of that time and what you notice is if you go too hard for too long you'll actually lose your G tolerance a lot faster so you'll see tunnel vision a lot sooner and as soon as you notice that you're losing your G tolerance, it's just time, time to call it a day and land, even if, you know, you might not get a chance to fly again for a while. I know when
4: I was flying the, uh, the Extra out in, in England, my instructor did that for me. <laughs> he, he demonstrated how, how little tolerance I had for Gs without me knowing it. <laughs>
0: 's got Lane's got a really interesting question actually Jody in the chat room he's asking uh, would you fly into space given the chance?
2: Oh absolutely. I mean that would be such an incredible experience, but it's a a really competitive process to to get to that point. Uh, one of the programs that I am working with right now is affiliated with SpaceX so I'm going to be doing some STEM learning videos for high gravity and low gravity environments for their junior astronauts program. And one of the things they do is uh, suborbital space. So I'm not sure how far along it'll take to develop it to that process or, or what it'll take to get to that level of their program but I'm, I'm hoping that'll be on the table someday.
4: That's pretty
1: awesome. <laughs> There's an awful lot of interest in your mug, it has to be said, uh, Jodie. <laughs> uh, Miles High is actually saying that, uh, uh, does that mug have the Avro Arrow on it?
2: It, it absolutely does. The uh, pride and joy of Canada that never quite made it to complete.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Man, this is, I love aviation podcasts and shows because I, I'm military and I wouldn't have been able to spot that airplane. I thought it was some kind of MIG.
2: Actually,
4: while
1: we're talking about aircraft and things, uh, Mark Priestley's got a great question in the chat room uh, and he uh, he's saying what is your favorite aircraft? Do you have? I mean, obviously you've flown quite a few but is there one that really jumps out at you as a personal favorite?
2: The um, best flying aircraft that I ever flew and I've, I've been told not all Harvards are this nice, but I think it was like serial number four and it was such a straight flying Harvard. And with the momentum, it was so stable. And I think when I did aerobatics in the Harvard in that specific one, it was the first time I experienced truly neutral stability. Like if you were on an upline and you set it there, it would just keep on going exactly where you left it. And there was just such a cool flying airplane in it, a really awesome sensation.
0: Actually miles high in the chat remarks another good one. Um, Jody, have you ever done the maneuver where you fly straight up until you stall and fall backwards?
2: <laughs> yes, absolutely. That is <laughs> called a tail slide, and the pits uh, does a really great tail slide. Um, that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to getting back to once we get these wings covered, so hopefully in the next month or so I'll have her flying again.
4: Awesome uh, Jody i could sit here and talk now i'm we're gonna have beers and, and scotch and whiskey and cigars <laughs> at reno's hopefully next year right or at, or at uh at prs in june
1: see that um, no, no you see that's not fair because that that that's excluding the rest of us that's just rude maybe
4: we'll maybe we'll take video and do a segment and then you guys can see the behind the scenes yeah Reno, d- which,
1: absolutely i'm gonna hold you to that
4: there's this much flying and this much just having fun right <laughs> Um, but before we ask you our final question, which we've been told by our producer, John, on our last episode that that you were on, we asked this question and the internet cut out. So we never actually got your answer. <laughs> oh <no.
3: laughs>
4: But but before we ask you that, uh, where can people find you on social media? And I know you have an online store now for some swag.
2: So we just launched the website this week. It's jrarrow.com. And social media, my Instagram, my TikTok are under quota filler and on YouTube, Jody Ruger, all one word. Um, That's where you'll find a lot of my newest aviation related videos. And then the Junior Astronauts Program for SpaceX, I'll send you guys a link to that. Uh, It hasn't quite launched yet. We're going to be starting a blog in the very near future. So if you're interested in learning about some STEM, um, there'll be a lot of really cool material getting put out there.
4: That's awesome. So here it is, the final question that we always ask everyone. If money was no object and you could fly any airplane in the world, past, present, or future, what airplane would that be?
2: I mean, if they had continued the Avro Aero product, <laughs> that <laughs> would have been pretty incredible just because that that is sort of the pride and joy of Canada. And it, it was really sad to see that program get canceled, but it, it was really a game changer in the
4: aviation industry i i guarantee that no one we've ever interviewed or will ever interview will have that same answer <laughs> i think i think maple leaves just flew out of everybody's <laughs> dreams <laughs> jody it's always awesome to talk to you i can't wait to see you in person and uh best of luck in 2021
2: thank you very much
4: all right
1: and that's where we need to bring our show to a close as well. Thank you, Jody, for joining us. Uh, mm. Carlos, uh, how can they get in touch uh, with our own program?
0: Yes, don't forget you can get in touch with us through all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Search for us on there, Plain Talking UK. If you want to send your pictures or videos into us, you can through our WhatsApp number, plus 447572249166. And you can have your picture on the green screen like I've got here, or you can have one on the wall behind Matt. Uh, don't forget you can email the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Also, don't forget to check out the website, all of W's plaintalkinguk.com, and also why not subscribe to our YouTube channel which you can do. You can get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room as everyone is this week. Also, you can go to our website and you can grab yourself a one of our PTUK T-shirts. Uh, they are still available. You can go on the website and get one. And hopefully, I think if I get them off this week, you'll get them before Christmas as well. And you can also treat yourself to a PTUK mug on our, sh- on our shop as well. To uh, do that as well. And also, if you're doing your shopping, if you're going to do your shopping this week, you can do through, like I have this week, through our link, uh, Amazon link. And uh, if you do your shopping through there, we get a small referral fee, which also helps for the show. And if you don't already, you can become a Patreon of the show, uh, where you can uh, become a patron and donate to the show each month. And that also helps to. Uh, help the show a uh, big time and especially this week because we have got a small bit of new tech in the studio where Matt is <laughs> this week which is running a treat I will say good good yes uh, uh, don't
1: forget also uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday just gone we actually recorded our Christmas show uh, still a chance for you to be included in that show. Uh, pop in to us by uh, email or using the WhatsApp number or whatever a voice message. We'd love to hear your voice. Uh, just to wish uh, everybody in the community uh, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, again, that WhatsApp number plus, plus four, four four seven tonight. five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Email address is podcast at plain talking uk
0: dot com. Yes, so that is where we're going to bring episode 348 to a close. Big thanks to our chat room, as always, for joining us this Friday night and uh, for listening to and watching the show. Big thanks to everyone who listens to the show as an audio download each week as well. Thanks to you guys and girls. And obviously, we've got to say a massive thanks to Jody for joining us this evening as well. Uh, Thanks for taking time out of uh, your day to speak to us on the show, Joe. It's always great to have you on and uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, and a big thanks as well to our producer, John, for all his legendary hard work, as always, behind the scenes with the production of the show. So it leads me to say thanks to Armando for joining us this week. Thanks to Matt in the studio. Nev, we missed you, but he will be back next week, hopefully. So from me, Carlos here in my home studio. From Matt in the PTUK Master Suite studio. From Armando in his glorious Charlotte studios. And from Jody. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend and see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye